this is Your Last Meal. I'm your host, Rachel Bell. Every episode, I interview a celebrity about what they would want to eat for their last meal, and then we explore the history of that food, the culture, and whatever else we can cram into 30 minutes. Today on the program... Anne Wilson of Heart. We'll learn the history of Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm sure that your 11 herbs and spices are a secret, but can you reveal any of them? I don't actually know them, and our head chef will even tell you that he doesn't know all of them. That is a very closely guarded secret. And in honor of heart, I cook and eat a beef heart for the first time. Heart. Get it? Heart? Oh, you can start to smell it here. Oh, I don't like that smell. I don't either. Ann Wilson is on the road right now. She's currently on tour. She's performing solo, but also throwing in some heart tunes for good measure. And Anne has been touring since 1976, which is one year after the very first Heart album came out. What is the difference of that first tour and then touring now? I mean, it's a totally different era. Uh, you're a different age. How would that tour compare to, to doing it now? Well, I can barely remember that first tour, but we were a baby band in the worst of conditions, just in our early 20s, doing 250 dates a year, which is extremely high. But we were just young and excited and hungry. Now, I'm still excited and hungry. I'm not so young anymore, but definitely way into it. And now I have it down to about 80 dates a year, which is way more humane. Nowadays, we are in much better conditions. My husband and I have a really beautiful tour bus that we live on on the road. It's like rolling around in our home. It's much better now. (laughs) Was it kind of like a sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of lifestyle? Well, at the very beginning, it wasn't drugs, but it was definitely sex and rock and roll. (laughs) And uh, we were driving around in a passenger van, just staying in little like roadside motels and stuff. Anne grew up in the Seattle area, but she recently moved to rural Florida with her husband. We moved here in uh, late October, just before the election. And um, we weren't really thinking that critically about food or, you know, the people we were going to meet because we just wanted to be alone. We we moved out in the country and we're pretty rural. But um, we ended up being like these definite blue state people living in the middle of the red ex of Trump country. And uh, and uh, so when you walk into like your neighborhood grocery store, it's completely different. The stuff they have there in terms of food and stuff to make food with is way different regionally than it is in Seattle. It really was an eye opener to me. What were some of the things that really stood out that were so different? We're actually way deep south and almost more Caribbean than than the south. And so you see all kinds of dragon fruit and all kinds of things that I can't even identify. And I've been trying them all because I love fruit. And um, some very interesting creatures growing on this planet that we never see up north. That's really cool. It's almost like you're in another country, but you're still in the United States. Believe me, it is another country. It really is another country. Folks are really good everywhere. People are basically well-intended, but they live inside their, their regional bubbles. And so... When you go from region to region, you're going to, it's like going to another country, for sure. I asked Anne how she's adjusting to being a political black sheep, how she's integrated herself into a community with different beliefs than hers. We don't really socialize. We just came here, like I said, to find peace and to be alone. And we don't really know a lot of people here to socialize with. And for sure, it's not 
a place where you go into a bar and start talking politics unless you want trouble. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's pretty different. But um, we're really here for nature. We're not here to, to hang out with people. The, the redneck hillbilly factor is extremely high. But it's a beautiful place. The dawns are really tender, and the dusk you see fireflies, and you can uh, lie on your back in the pool in the middle of January and see a blue sky overhead. It's just very beautiful. All right, we're going to wrap up politics for the day and get to the most important part of all, the food. What would Ann Wilson choose for her last meal? Last meal on Earth? Yes. If it was the last meal and nothing mattered and no fat intake or calories or anything like that, I'd have fried chicken, really good southern fried chicken, and um, maybe an artichoke, a steamed artichoke with some mayo dipping sauce, and some chunks of watermelon. Yum. That sounds really good. What is it that really does it for you about fried chicken? If we're going to cook and eat another animal, I mean, it's almost like the perfect combination, Um, especially if the batter is really light. It's probably one of the, the best things on earth that's ever been cooked. Do you have a favorite place to eat fried chicken? I don't eat it very often now, but, uh, you know, I just don't think you can really beat Colonel Sanders. I mean, it's it's just sort of the people's food, and the less frou-frou it gets, I think, the better it is. I'm feeling it. Kentucky Fried Chicken, you just can't mess with the classic. When we come back, who is Colonel Sanders? We'll explore the fascinating life of the man in white with the folks over at KFC headquarters in Kentucky. Oh, and that Colonel title, he did not earn that in the military. We'll have more in a minute. Ann Wilson chose Kentucky Fried Chicken for her last meal. There are currently 20,000 KFC locations in more than 125 countries around the world. So clearly, Anne is not the only one who thinks it's finger-licking good. But what is the story behind KFC? It's a chain. It's glossy. It has a drive through But it wasn't always like that. The story starts in the 1930s. And we get the scoop from Lori Eberens, Senior Manager of Public Affairs for KFC U.S., well, I think you have to uh, talk about the colonel to really understand, you know, where Kentucky Fried Chicken came from. He was born in 1890 in a small town called Henryville, Indiana. A lot of people think he's from Kentucky, but he's actually born about 20 miles uh, north of Kentucky. And he led this really interesting life. He had like more than 20 jobs, you know, from the time he was probably 13 um, into adulthood. But he eventually opened a gas station diner in Corbin, Kentucky. And that is where he perfected his original recipe, fried chicken. That's not really the very first Kentucky fried chicken, but that is where the recipe was, you know, first created. And then when um, they built the interstate, essentially the interstate was going to route people away from Colonel Sanders' um, hotel and, and diner. So he decided that he better find a new venture. And he went out on the road selling his, uh, you know, Leaven Herbs and Spices original recipe that he had formulated, and he met Pete Harmon, who was actually the first franchisee. And Pete actually created the Kentucky Fried Chicken name. So that's really the first Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant was in Salt Lake City. So let's set up a little bit of a timeline here. Colonel Sanders opened his roadside cafe in the 1930s. He hit upon his 11 herbs and spices chicken recipe in 1940, 
1952, Kentucky Fried Chicken opened its very first franchise in Salt Lake City. And actually, it was just a few years later in 57 when the bucket was introduced, as well as our finger-licking good tagline, which we still use today. Lori says before the colonel found his chicken career, he did all kinds of work. He had any number of odd jobs from trial lawyer to amateur obstetrician before he, you know, became this, uh, really built this chicken empire. He was an amateur obstetrician. Like those two (laughs) words together just make me nervous. Like who are these babies (laughs) that he was birthing in an amateur style? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, um, You know, he spent most of his life in rural communities. So in Corbin in particular is a a fairly rural area of Kentucky. And so, you know, sometimes the doctor might be not available or not there. And so he learned how to deliver babies. And if you couldn't get the doctor, sometimes you got Harlan Sanders instead. And if you're wondering where he earned that colonel title... It's not from the military. So his name was Harlan Sanders, was his name at birth. He became known as Colonel Harlan Sanders because in Kentucky, we have um, this designation that the governor can grant individuals who he feels um, have done good deeds in the community or in a good standing, and they are Kentucky colonels. So he became Colonel Harlan Sanders. Uh, our governor recognized him for all the works he had done for his you know, good business um, ownership and entrepreneurship over the years. It is more of a courtesy ranking, which people actually can still get today. That ranking must have given Colonel Sanders some kind of confidence. He was basically like, I'm the colonel and I need to dress like one. And I know you know the outfit I'm talking about. I'm sure almost all of you, if not every single one of you, can conjure up an image of the colonel in your mind right now. Can you talk about his signature look? And was that really the way that he dressed in real life? So it was. He didn't develop that look until the 1950s. So about that time he went out on the road to sell his secret recipe in franchise restaurants. That's when he developed this signature look. And, you know, we like to say the colonel had swagger before that was a thing. (laughs) You know, he he realized that it made him recognizable. And he realized by branding himself that he was, you know, creating a brand out of his fried chicken. Um, so he he developed that look and realized, you know, I think at one point it was even a black suit, but eventually he changed it because, one, a black suit wouldn't work with all the flour, <laughs> and two, the white suit was more noticeable. He had a white suit on one time, and it was, you know, I think after um, Labor Day, and everyone kept commenting on it, and he realized, if I wear this white suit, I will really stand out. And we, we call him the original celebrity chef. I mean, he knew about branding himself before that was, you know, an everyday term. And that's really where that look came from. And was it his idea to put his face on the logo? It was. I believe it was his idea. And and even after he sold the business in the 60s, he stayed on as the spokesperson and as the face of the brand, um, really, until he died in 1980. So he was very much at the center of it and wanted to be the center of it. You know, it was his recipe. It was He was in his 60s before he developed the recipe and Brandon Kentucky Fried Chicken. So he was very proud of that and and remained very involved even after he sold the business. I love that he didn't develop the recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken until he was in his 60s. It reminds me of my personal hero, Julia Child, who didn't start cooking until her 40s. And she didn't publish her famous cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, until she was in her 50s. I mean, he was literally on Social Security when he went out and sold his first franchise. All right, Colonel Schmernel, enough with him. We have to talk about the chicken, the famous fried chicken with its 11 secret herbs and spices. So it actually takes 25 minutes from start to finish to make 
um, original recipe fried chicken and all of the the chicken is delivered to our restaurants fresh just like it was in the colonel's day it's hand inspected and hand breaded and then pressure fried to perfection so if your grandmother ever used a pressure cooker um, that is originally how colonel sanders developed pressure frying chicken was in like a pressure cooker pot on the stove um, now of course we use much larger fryers but it's still using that exact same method of putting the chicken under pressure which creates that really like juicy chicken with the soft skin with the great flavor. I'm sure that your 11 herbs and spices are a secret, but can you reveal any of them? I don't actually know them. And our head chef will even tell you that he doesn't know all of them. That is a very closely guarded secret. Um, Actually two different manufacturers each mix part of the seasoning and then it's shipped to another um, supplier to put it together before it goes to our restaurant. So very closely guarded secret recipe. Oh, wow. They really did make an effort to make sure nobody knew the secret. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> I grew up eating Kentucky Fried Chicken when my dad would go on a business trip. That was the treat. My mom, it's like he was barely out of the house. My mom was like, and we were going to go get a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, and now I don't eat fast food very much, and I'd consider myself a food snob. But I still think that the coleslaw is the best coleslaw. Like I compare all coleslaw to the KFC coleslaw. It's so good. That's great. We love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, that's, they're kind of those core side items that all of our restaurants, you know, have to have. And certainly the mashed potatoes and gravy, the biscuits, and then definitely that coleslaw are, you know, the most popular ones. And as a kid, I loved that the butter was perpetually melted and it came in that little ketchup packet, along with a little ketchup packet of honey that we would slather all over our biscuits. And when I say we, I'm not talking about my dad. He didn't get to slather because he was on a business trip. All right, it's time for a quick break. But when we come back, cooking and eating heart in honor of heart. my mind works very literally. I was thinking about Ann Wilson, so of course I thought about her band, Heart. And this being a food podcast, my mind naturally wandered over to Heart, Animal Heart, which you can eat. I myself have never eaten Heart, so I thought this was the perfect excuse to expand my awful experience. Awful is in O-F-F-A-L, the guts. And that's how I ended up in my kitchen with a massive, nearly three-pound beef heart and my friend Ethan Lowry, co-founder of Crowd Cow. Yeah, well, Crowd cow is, oh, excuse me. (coughs) I got some of the jalapeno in my throat. (coughs) Crowd cow is, uh, uh, it's a a website. (coughs) Okay, I'll talk for Ethan for a little bit while he tries to not die. Crowd cow allows you to order small quantities of beef from small local farms, so you don't have to go in on an entire side of beef. Therefore, you don't have to buy a second freezer for your garage. Therefore, you are not eating ground beef for three years and having to get creative and make ground beef ice cream. With CrowdCow, you choose the cuts that you want from a single cow. And once every part is spoken for, your beef is delivered to your doorstep. We call it tipping a cow. You're buying one cow at a time, really one steer. Um, And we collect a bunch of people together and and we sell the entire animal. So everything from the the, the obvious, you know, the tenderloins and the rib steaks down to things like heart and tongue and oxtail. 
and uh, the funny thing is that there's an audience for all of it, right? There's somebody out there in the world who really loves getting heart. And so we'll, we'll put that up there. And sure, a lot more people are looking for the more famous steaks or for ground beef. But there's always somebody, and, and usually there are people competing for it, who goes in and, and gets things like oxtail and tongue. Americans are pretty squeamish about awful. Things like the heart and the liver, the brains, stuff like that. But Ethan taught me that the heart is really just muscle. So it doesn't have any funk, kind of like liver does. And back in the day, a lot more people used to eat the heart. And they certainly still eat it in other parts of the world. Each animal produces exactly one hanger steak. So when when, when you've got a restaurant that wants to put hanger steak on the menu, what they're really saying is that they're going to go to some giant meat supplier and they're going to buy... 100 animals worth of, of hanger steak. Um, in the old days, that's not how it worked. You got the beef that you, you got from a local uh, farm and, and you would eat everything you got. People who buy quarters and halves of, of beef, that's still kind of a thing. And, and they'll, they'll have it in their freezer for a long, long time and they'll get, they get the whole animal. Ethan and I recently cooked a beef tongue together, a giant beef tongue. Their tongues are so big and it was a little scary being the first time for both of us. I feel like I kind of made Ethan do it because I was like, dude, you own Crowd Cow. You have to cook with the tongue. And I did it as a tribute to my grandma, Terry, who always ordered a big, fat tongue sandwich at the Jewish deli whenever we visited her in Brooklyn when I was a kid. So like I said, I have never eaten heart before. Ethan has eaten it, but he's never cooked it before. A friend had cooked me heart, and it was it was great. And again, I remember being impressed by how little I, I would have known that it was heart. Like, it just tastes a lot like, like a steak. I mean, it has a bit more of that. It's a very beefy flavor, maybe a little more minerally. In the same direction as a brisket, at least like it's it's got it, it's not you don't you don't get that really mild flavor you would with a filet mignon. It's got a much much stronger flavor. So Ethan showed up at my house with a nearly three pound beef heart in tow, and our plan was to grill it and then serve it with a homemade chimichurri sauce. The first step was taking the massive heart out of the bag. We are gonna pour out the juices, and wow! Oh, you can start to smell it here. Oh, I don't like that smell. I don't either. That's a <laughs> let's cook it before we eat it. <laughs> what, what would you say that smell is? It's Raw meat. Right. Stinky. Can I smell it again? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. This is the thing. It's never. It's not pretty. Look at that. Ew. There's like. I know. There's gristle and stuff. So yeah, we're looking at the inside of the heart at this point. This is all muscle. Yeah. I mean, it's got it's got this sort of fascia that we need to cut away. But the so we'll cut away the ugly stuff and we'll chop it into little strips so that it won't look weird. Okay, so you're going to cut away. There's all this kind of white webbed looking yeah, kind it, of I guess it's it's the blood vessels and things that are that line the interior of the heart. I think I that's what we're looking at. I, I think sharp. we might need a sharper knife. Ethan had the job of trimming away everything that wasn't muscle and then he sliced the heart into nice little strips that we salt and peppered. Let's season liberally. We are liberals after all. <laughs> and then immediately threw them on a cast iron griddle that was placed over the top of the gas burners on the stove. Now we're cooking. <laughs> it's real smoky in here. After opening all the windows and waving a dish towel over the alarm, I gotta make my chimichurri. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we have some cilantro and parsley, a red jalapeno, shallot, which your mom calls. Shallot? Yes. <laughs> and garlic, red wine vinegar, and olive oil. So I'm just going to blend this up. 
We cooked the heart strips to medium rare, so about four minutes on each side, and then we spooned over the chimichurri and we dug in. Do you want me to cut it up for you? <laughs> yes, Dad. <laughs> I'm like little bite-sized pieces. And then we'll douse it with chimichurri. Is it chimichurri or chimichurri? Like, what's the... Chimichurri. Chimichurri. I always say chimichurri, but I always assume that I'm saying it wrong. Like, if I went... Is it Argentinian? What it's is Argentinian, it? Argentinian, yeah. It probably would sound cooler. Like, chimichurri. I don't know. That's, that's French. French. <laughs> the, the French influence in Argentina is very strong. <laughs> this is true. We gotta get it looks like you cooked it perfectly. It does look like I don't, I don't think I botched it. I don't know. It's, it's, it, it actually looks pretty good. Let's try it. You want to give it a try? Hmm. It's pretty good. It's good. Yeah. It's a little chewy, but pretty good. You hear my little cat meowing in the background? She was a big fan of the raw heart. All right, so those were our first bites. Clearly not super impressed with the grilled heart. But then we tried a different piece, and we seem to like it a lot better. That's good. Yeah. The second piece is tastier. This, to me, tastes just like steak. I actually wouldn't know the difference. I felt the first piece had a different flavor to it that was suspect. (laughs) This this is good. (laughs) But I agree. This one I did was a thinner cut, and so I wonder if that made it cook differently. Maybe... The heart isn't supposed to be cooked exactly like a steak and as rare as we would like a steak because I think this one looks a little bit more cooked and I think it's tastier. Clearly, we should have watched the YouTube videos on how to cook heart. We just kind of winged it. We read some recipes, uh, but in the end, it was good, man. We ate the whole thing. The chimichurri was really good, too. And I got to say, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling OK for my first heart. I'm a, <laughs> I wasn't heartbroken. It was, it's pretty good. Do you think Ann Wilson from Heart would like our heart? I think she would. She's, you know, she's, she's, you said that she's looking for ways to eat healthier and Heart's a lean muscle, so it'd be good for her and it tastes delicious. Heart's the way to go, Heart. Let's check back in one more time with Ann Wilson. I in no way have a voice like yours. I am a very mediocre singer, but I love to sing hard at karaoke and I love to do the song alone, even though my voice cracks and it's a total mess. Um, I was wondering if, you know, you're a professional singer, but do you like slash do you ever do karaoke? And if so, what is your song of choice? I used to do karaoke quite a bit at parties and I used to like to sing Patsy Cline. used to sing crazy and walking after midnight and all those songs i like to sing country songs man every time i listen to patsy klein i'm like i think we have the same boyfriend because all those breakup songs like, like resonate <laughs> so hard and that was ann wilson's last meal Anne is currently on tour she's crisscrossing the nation so look up her schedule online and buy a ticket in your city thanks to kfc and Lori eberins who told me she is a big heart fan so that's kind of fun. And thank you to Ethan Lowry from CrowdCow for donating a stinky beef heart and your cooking skills to the show. Treat yourself to some amazing beef. Go to CrowdCow.com. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me. Music, as always, by Prom Queen. Oh, and by Heart. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, tell your friends and leave a review. I'm Rachel Bell. And until next time, this is your last meal. 